0: Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet Podcast. I'm pretty stoked with this podcast. Uh, I want to introduce to you one of my best friends, Daryl. I hope he doesn't mind me calling him that. (laughs) He's also become a really good mentor to me. Uh, Daryl lives in Docklands, up in Victoria, and we were really lucky to be able to spend a couple of nights with him. <laughs> Does he's a character? Uh, he comes from a background on, well, working on Rottnest Island as a security office, officer for the security, and as a firefighter, and it's where he really developed this really strong interest in sports nutrition. And in this podcast, I I was desperate to try and share who who Daryl is beneath all of his persona of being the guru of sports nutrition in Australia. And the interesting thing is, when you meet Daryl, you you want to kind of talk to him as a person, but somehow the sports nutrition stuff always bubbles back out. And that's exactly what seemed to happen in this podcast, despite yeah trying to share more of his story. So what you'll what I hope you'll get out of this podcast is not just a really interesting insight into how your body works and how we fuel it, but that the person behind the Shot Sports Nutrition brand, which is Australian made and Australian owned, he um, he's not driven by money. He's not driven by business. He just has this undying passion for helping people and when you meet him, he he. He's so muscly and strong and yet he comes across in his podcast as being incredibly reflective and gentle, which is Daryl to a T. <laughs> and the funny thing was too, the night before we did the podcast, we went down to the Sydney, oh, the Sun Herald uh, cycling tour to watch the prologue and Everywhere we went, everyone knew (laughs) Daryl. These are the Chris Frooms of the world, the Australian cycling team, and everyone knows Daryl. So um, if you don't know him, you're going to get to know him, and I hope that you really connect with the podcast. down with me today. Uh, We're we're friends, so this should be a bit of fun. It's just another conversation, but thanks for coming on the Find Your Feet
1: podcast. Cool, thanks for having
0: me. Well, it's a pleasure. So we're sitting here in your house in Docklands, but changes are on the horizon, maybe. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe a move to Hobart,
0: yeah. To sunny Tassie. To sunny Tassie, I don't think you've had any sunshine on any trip you've been on to Hobart yet, have you?
1: Uh, We've got a little bit. We've got a bit of a taste of what it could be like yeah so yeah we're looking forward to that move down there and getting amongst the nature
0: i can't wait to show you our trails mountain bikes runners you name it we're gonna do it but um i'm kind of curious to go back a little bit you uh you originally were based in western australia
1: yeah in perth yeah Yeah, on the beach
0: so tell me a bit about what you were doing in perth or was that where your family were originally and
1: Yeah, um, a North Beach boy. I grew up in North Beach. Um, It was just mum and I. I had older sisters who um, had moved out. So it was just mum and I growing up. Um, Down the beach every single day. I don't remember a day that I wasn't at the beach. Um, And, yeah, just always um, had a love for sport and being active and even not knowing what I needed or what the right nutrition was. I always ate well and I never, I never drank, I never smoked. Um, I would have the occasional soft drink as a kid um, for no other reason than it just didn't make sense.
0: And was your mum a bit along that mentality as
1: well? Um, when I was about eight years of age, um, I remember mum was boil, She used to boil vegetables, which everyone did.
0: Back, yeah, boil, boil them until they turn grey. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and uh, all this green liquid from the broccoli, and I said, "Mum, that doesn't make any sense. It seems like th- there's no there's no substance in the in the vegetables and and this and all the green water, and it just didn't make sense to me. And I said, "Mum, what about steaming? <laughs> this is an eight-year-old. Yeah. And uh, from then she started steaming food, and the vegetables just Tasted so much better, and I actually didn't realise at the time. But now looking back, I I started to feel a lot better too, and started to do better at football and athletics and all mm. those sorts of sports. That um, I just felt like I just had a lot more energy than
0: having than, what amazing insight for someone so young. I
1: know, I know. It was yeah. I think You're back a freak. now. Oh yeah, it was kind of <laughs> weird. Um, but I, I I don't know. I had a, my old man was fifty three when he had me, and there was there is some talk about when you do have an older parent that you're given some more common sense or you, you're a bit more um, you're born wiser yeah a bit more wiser mm-hmm. um, so a lot of those things like I never saw the point in drinking alcohol um, I never saw the point in all my mates were doing marijuana and all that sort of stuff and I just it just didn't make sense to me
0: so you, have you ever drunk never Never? Never. Ever had an alcoholic
1: drink? I've had probably, in my life, about 50 mils of it.
0: Wow. Yeah. Huh. So, w- where what was your sport then?
1: Uh, it was football, at, at initially. Yeah. Um, so, back then, uh, it was all under 10s. There was no smaller grades. And I was six when I started playing footy, so mm-hmm. I was playing under 10s as a six-year-old. Um, so, you learn pretty quickly. Uh, but then after that then i was playing my game and then playing a, an age group above as well so um i think in the first three years i would played over 100 games um but then uh, later on um I, I stopped playing footy which i'm really happy about now because a lot of my mates that continued playing you know, they have hip and knee problems like they're a bit beaten yeah, up yeah they're a bit of a mess yeah so I um I discovered surfing and uh, and cool. got into that.
0: And I know that in you know, a little bit later on in your life, you at one point you were a bouncer, you were a firefighter. <laughs> so <laughs> a to, bouncer. Well, I don't know what you'd call it.
2: Well, security.
0: <laughs> so, okay, we'll call it security. <laughs> but but to frame it for people who don't know you, you know you're a, you're a really strong guy, you're tall, you're, were you like that as a kid? Were you the strong kid or? No. Ah, No, I wasn't.
1: I didn't start growing until about 18 or 19. Oh, wow. And I used to. Must have been all
0: those boiled veggies in the early years. (laughs) Yeah,
1: well, I, yeah, I don't know, I'm not sure, I just, a late bloomer, I guess, but it was interesting seeing um, kids at school that used to pick on me in high school, then I'd see them later on when, you know, in early 20s. And uh, I'd be probably a foot taller than and and a foot wider. And uh, You remember me from school? You know, the one you used to pick on? Oh, oh, you know, we were kids back then, you know. So, um, yeah, it was uh, was kind of interesting. But the security thing that was at Rottnest Island, Mm -hmm. um, I was security for the security. So my job was to look after the security guys because they were a little bit rough. So my job was to make sure that they didn't get too rough
0: that's hilarious mm. but firefighting was something you did a lot of then
1: yeah both my brother-in-law's my sisters married fire. well they were the firefighters so it was something that um that I wanted to do because I, I just like the idea of of you know helping people and um yeah, that's the ultimate job in helping people
0: and that's that's what still it appears from the outside. That's what still drives you, the love yeah. of helping people. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. I think, um, yeah, just um, it's 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 very satisfying when mm. you when you do help someone and and they're genuinely excited about the fact that you have been able to assist them in mm-hmm. some way.
0: I couldn't agree. Well, not that it it. I need to agree, but I couldn't agree more. And I feel like that's what I've come to learn is like there's that satisfaction of contributing to people's lives and helping them out, making them feel better.
1: Yeah, and especially um, anything that's to do with activity. Like we're here for such a short period of time, and I love that people are learning about themselves mm-hmm. and what they're capable of, mm-hmm. and not just existing, mm-hmm. like not just being here and, and not actually testing themselves in any way, like mm-hmm. the human body is phenomenal. It's just like, the, I don't know how much money they scientists have spent on trying to make a robot move like us, but it's billions of dollars and mm-hmm. they still haven't nailed it yet. Mm-hmm. Like the human body is staggering.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's just having a respect for the body, and, and understanding that everyone is so different, like, it, it, like I, I, I sort of wonder why people cover themselves in tats or, or piercings and all those sorts of things when if they just thought about how different they were internally, they wouldn't feel that need to show it externally because we're just, yeah, just all very unique.
0: When did you realize that?
1: Um, probably, I oh, I'm still, I'm still realizing it now, like, the, just the, the, um, the differences in, in, you know, people who may be exactly the same size, yet they have entirely different numbers when you're talking about hydration and that sort of thing. But, um, as a firefighter, um, you know, you're in some pretty horrible places at times and bushfires especially like the heat is just it's unimaginable the mm. heat and you've got to wear this um, protective clothing that you normally wouldn't wear in those sort of conditions. like when it gets hot you want to take
0: everything, everything off.
1: off. you want to yeah. have the least amount of clothing on as possible but you don't have that luxury as a firefighter. you have to protect yourself from the, the radiant heat. So you're basically boiling inside these protective suits. But what triggered my interest in hydration from the start was as a firefighter. There were guys who could handle the heat so much better than others Mm. and it had nothing to do with their fitness. Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with how old they were or their um, gender or experience um, experience or anything. Yeah. because I knew some of the guys that I was working with who were extraordinarily fit, but had a lot of trouble in the heat. Um, more so than guys that didn't really spend a lot of time um, in the gym or running or doing any of that fitness stuff. And uh, so that's something I really um, wanted to find out why. So I started testing the, um, the fireys. And fortunately I had a friend who was able to, to um, test the, the sweat initially.
0: Yes. As in the concentration of the sodium yeah.
1: in the sweat or yeah. the amount they were losing or both? No, both. Both. Yeah, so luckily he, he had access to a refractometer, which gave us some uh, some numbers. And interestingly, what we worked out was that the firefighters who were able to handle the hotter conditions had a much lower sodium concentration in their sweat
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and a lower sweat rate as mm-hmm. well. So the amount they were losing wasn't anywhere near what, uh, what others were.
0: So, sorry, how long ago was this, Dara? Wow, well, 94, so... So we're
1: looking 94.
0: at 20 plus years ago that you started.
1: Yeah, it was probably, it was probably, I was in the fires for 12 years, it was probably five or six years into, into being a, so early 2000s.
0: So what stopped you... I'm, I'm kind of curious to understand how your brain went from, oh, I recognize this is an issue. I recognize that we need to do, to learn more about this. What stopped you just going to an expert, I'm uh, um, an expert in quotation marks, yeah. and going, oh, what's happening? What are we doing? Why, why did you suddenly think, oh, I've got to learn this for myself?
1: Well, firstly, there's no such thing as an expert when <laughs> it comes to sports nutrition or anything to do with the body. And if anyone claims they're an expert with anything to do with the body, then that's a very big call. Um,
0: because the body is so much smarter than we are.
1: Well, it's there's just too many variables. Yeah. Like science is, science is if you get the same result every time, mm-hmm. then you can publish that and that's scientific. That if you do this, this will happen. <laughs> but um, the body's so different. Everyone's so different, and the environmental conditions that we compete and train in from an athlete's perspective, is always changing.
0: And our lifestyles are different. Yeah. You know, the amount of Everything. stress the body's under when it's training and performing and preparing. Yeah. And yeah
1: there's, so, there's so many variables. And then there's the digestive system. Yeah. Like, you know, how how much fluid you can tolerate, how many calories you can tolerate, all those different things. Like, everyone's digestive system is different. But, um, yeah, I got off the point there. Yeah, sorry, um, back to the firefighters. Sorry, yeah, so I... <laughs> All the information I was reading was it was just one size fits all stuff. It's less mm-hmm. like, oh well, you know, if you if you um, if you heat acclimated, then the sodium concentration in your sweat will drop, and that's all it said. And I'm like, well, what was it to start with, and what did it drop to, and how much does it drop by? So all these questions I started to ask myself, and uh, none of that information was, you know, just someone came up, saying, oh well, if you if you if you exercise in the heat, you'll become heat acclimated and you'll be able to, you know, there would be no problem. Well... Did you uh, try
0: that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All the t- like, we, you know, we're doing six-week um, heat stress protocol, six-week blocks, and we test the sodium concentration and it looks the same as mm-hmm. it was six weeks before. I've got athletes who live in, um, you know, Asia and Malaysia and, and Thailand and Singapore where it's hot and humid all year round and they've lived there for 10 years. Some all their life, yet they still have a high sodium concentration in their sweat. Yeah. So if, if this literature was correct, then they'd all have really low sodium concentrations in their sweat because they're in that environment all the time. So,
0: so two questions. One is just more to, I guess, really frame the discussion, but... You were driven to help the firefighters, not to help yourself in the fire force. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, because um, we were just given plain water, <laughs> um, and you know it's basic common sense that if you just drink plain water, um, you're going to dilute the sodium concentration in your blood. So if someone's losing a lot of sodium in sweat and drinking plain water, they're going to add to their losses. Why is sodium important? Well, of all the electrolytes, and we talk about electrolytes, Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the time they're not broken down into Mm -hmm. individual elements or minerals. Um, Sodium is predominantly um, extracellular, which is in the bloodstream. Um, Potassium, calcium, and magnesium, they're all intracellular, predominantly inside the cell. So being in the bloodstream, it's something that we can lose, but... We can replace as well, but um, it just drives just, it drives just about every single function in the body. And once again, you'll see reports that says sodium's not important, or you'll read literature it as sodium. And you know what? It might not be important to some. It might not be as important to some athletes that I've tested over the years, and I've tested over a thousand athletes. And some of them just don't need to have a lot of sodium because they're not losing a lot. But then there's others who are losing staggering amounts of sodium.
2: Mm. And
1: if they listen to that same information that this person used this um, one-size-fits-all article, then they're going to find themselves in trouble. (laughs) So it's a really important mineral. It's been smashed by the media. um, But... All the marketing and all the it's targeted at the mass market. And what athletes or, or people who are very active need to understand is that they're not mass market. They represent maybe 0.2% of the population. <laughs> so it's a very small amount of people. And the big companies out there really don't care too much about us um, because we don't you know we're not going to generate huge amount of sales for them. <laughs> So all this marketing is targeted at 60% of the population who are fat. They don't do any exercise, and they eat lots of processed foods. They are getting more than their fair share of sodium. On the flip side, people who are active, who are sweating, who generally eat well. um, And that's the thing. If you eat well, it's actually hard to get enough sodium back in because foods that aren't heavily processed or uh, refined just don't have Mm. that... uh, um, that amount of, of salt in it.
0: So what you're saying is that the, the significance of sodium is that it drives all the body processes, and particularly for athletes, it, it drives the absorption of fluids predominantly, and energy is my understanding, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a co-transporter of glucose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, once, once the concentration of sodium drops in the blood, that delivery of glucose to the brain, especially, and the active muscle slows.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so there's, but there's lots of other, um, you know, from from the brain's perspective, the the electrical um, uh, signals. Now they're slowed, because everyone has a different concentration in their blood that works best for them, um, and that's why. Some don't lose as much as as others for whatever reason. They don't need to, um, you know, um, lose as much as someone else. And and for whatever reason, I have absolutely no idea. I don't know why everyone loses so much. uh, Sorry, everyone has such different losses in Hmm. their sweat. You know, I've I've tested as low as um, 311 milligrams per one liter of sweat. So for every one liter of sweat... The athlete loses. This particular athlete lost three hundred and eleven milligrams of what sodium. What sport were they in? They were triathlete.
0: Okay, and in Australia.
1: In Australia, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the highest. This guy super fit, um, clearance diver, um, in the defence force. Uh, Two thousand three hundred and fourteen milligrams mm-hmm. per one liter of sweat. So. What's it?
0: And it It is it, what you're saying is that it doesn't really matter what their diet is like at this level as if a relatively clean diet they still have the same losses is that
1: yeah clear? yeah so what uh, yeah so to to test that as well like that this is going back in the early days when I was getting right into it, you know we'd increase the amount of salt that we'd put on an athlete's um food over a two week period like mm-hmm. you know um. Really dose it up <laughs> to see if that would change the sodium concentration of their sweat, um, and then after that two weeks we do another sweat test and we test the sodium, and it, it wouldn't. It didn't change.
0: So where was the salt going?
1: Well, it's it, the sodium, like and, and sodium chloride, which is mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. salt. It's extracellular, so or predominantly extracellular. So it's it's in the bloodstream. So you can. You, your brain, or whatever mechanism, balances it out. So if you've mm. got too much, you, you'll just wear it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's not something. It's not inside the cell, so it's not something that's difficult to to replace or to to um, mm-hmm. to lose. Well, the thing with the intracellular electrolytes, like your magnesium, and magnesium. potassium, and calcium, um, interestingly, although sodium is is wild in its um, difference between individuals the the losses of your intracellular electrolytes is actually quite uniform there's mm-hmm. not too much difference between between losses between individuals
0: so magnesium zinc
1: Yeah, so magnesium is a really interesting one because we hear about how important it is oh
0: isn't it important for cramping
1: <laughs> that's funny <laughs> <I> <laughs> um, know it's not well, yeah,
0: well <laughs> it is but it isn't yeah
1: well it, i guess from an athlete's perspective and we're talking about hydration here mm-hmm. so you're talking about sweat loss mm-hmm. and i used to test for magnesium many years ago and uh, you know when i'm seeing a number of like sodium might be 1200 milligrams per liter and magnesium was 2.5 wow i'm thinking okay we'll test it again and maybe there's been a mistake somewhere and i, I did about 20 or 30 different tests on magnesium and some don't, some actually don't lose any at all. Mm-hmm. And the most I saw was four milligrams. So, and, to, and to, um, uh, to confirm that, you know, you look at a, a saline drip, which is uh, in every single hospital on the planet. Right,
0: and at the finish and, line and the event, of every event and, yeah. that you have when athletes are dehydrated. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And, and generally, it's called a Hartman solution. And there's no, there's not one milligram of magnesium in those saline drips. It's
0: Salt and water, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, there's a little bit of calcium, a little bit of potassium, mm-hmm. but yeah, mainly sodium and chloride.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The two main components.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this thing once again, um, wonderfully well marketed, and athletes unfortunately get caught up in all that marketing.
0: Well, it's everywhere. Is mm. that is that the biggest challenge for you in your
1: industry? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's um. You know, powdered sports drinks. Yeah. Like, if you seriously sat down and thought about powdered sports drinks, you would be amazed that these companies turn over billion dollars, billions of dollars a year. Like, it, it's staggering. Well,
0: they're everywhere. So, I, I mean, I, just this morning I've been sitting down with actually um, someone in the Richmond Football Club. And, I mean, I don't know who they're sponsored by, but when you watch football, aren't, aren't the football teams using... The Gatorades and Powerades, they're elite athletes, or...
1: Well, they use the bottles. <laughs> <laughs> um, 14 of the teams purchase our product.
0: Wow. Yeah. Out of how many in that? Uh, there's 18 in the... So, 14 out of 18 teams yeah. are using the yeah. shots. But, uh, but I don't
1: think they're using it properly. <clears throat> yeah.
0: But, yeah. That they're, they're using it. That's, yeah. I guess it's a start. But... So what, I've got, I've got, oh my gosh, I've got so many questions. So let's just go back a step. So when you started developing this interest in sports, nutrition and hydration, predominantly at the moment, hydration, did that send you off to do a formal education in sport physiology or no, no,
1: well, no. Why not? Well, I learned from a really early age. Um, I worked um, when I was younger on concrete games up in Karatha in the northwest of Western Australia. Another
0: hot
1: environment. Yeah, it was, and that we actually learn a lot from that as well because um, all we had on all we had was um, plain water. It was mm-hmm. our hydration, and you know, a few of the guys ended up in hospital and. On saline drips, and I and as a firefighter, I ended up on a saline drip as well. And I don't know if who's been on a saline drip before, but man, those things are unbelievable.
0: Oh, and rocket fuel.
1: Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know that that was another precursor to to learning more about this sort of thing. But um, in Karatha, on the concrete gangs, working with um, Croatian um, gangs, and. We'd had, we had this young guy who was straight out of university who had all these textbooks and said, this is the way you need to do the job. And the Croatian guys who had 30 years of experience...
0: And said, no education. And no
1: education, but just knew what they were doing, um, had the practical knowledge. And uh, they said, look, it's not going to work. And the guy straight out of university with his textbooks said, well, it says here that's how you need to do it. And they said, okay, well, we'll do it that way but it's not going to work. We'll be, have to tear it down and we'll start again. And he said, well, this is how you do it, because this is what the textbook says. So we do it, we tear it down, start again, and do it how um, the Croatian guy said to do it in the first place. So that sort of, for for me, the message was, well, it doesn't really matter how much you read. You need to, You need to have that practical understanding, and... Especially when you're talking about the human body and performance, you can't. There's nothing you can learn from from reading a, um, a published article, because there's so many variables. Mm. Um, and the only the only people that it, that can um, get any value out of that study are the actual subjects in that study. Mm. And the only value they'll get will be based on their own unique physiological makeup. The intensity that they did the test at, the environmental conditions, um, and, and you know a bunch of other variables. So, to publish an article, and then think that it's going to suit everyone, it, it just it, it, it didn't make any sense. And to and the stuff that I was reading um, wasn't making any sense to the stuff that I had already learned.
0: And it's not what human nature really wants to hear It's probably not even what some of our listeners nor myself <laughs> when I started working with you as well wanted to hear is like when things are going wrong you want to fix you mm. want to find Dr. Google and find an answer so you what you're saying is that over the years you originally you learnt from the firefighters that you're working with and then began to transcribe that into the world of sport yeah and learn from your athletes yes so how many sports, or give us some examples of the sporting fields or environments that you've began to work with over the years? Yeah. Where did it start, and where did it go? Uh,
1: predominantly, it's been um, with triathletes, uh, but I've worked with, you know, motocross riders and superbike, uh, motor, uh, motor vehicle, uh, car racing, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Formula um, One. Uh, not at that level. Not at that level. But I've, I've actually spoken. Um, with Jensen Button and and about that sort of thing, and no disrespect, but they're so far behind with their hydration. Hmm. Um,
0: you can't imagine hydration being actually particularly important in a car.
1: Well, it, in those open um, open cockpit um, cars, they're getting a lot of airflow. Mm-hmm. So it's it's your it's your V eights. You you closed um, vehicles where they can get up to 65 degrees in the cabins oh. and, uh, you know, they talk about cool suits and all that sort of thing, but, um, it, it, massive amounts of energy, um, uh, expended, mm-hmm. um, but not only physically, but mentally they use massive, massive amounts of energy mentally. Just that quick decision. And... The amount of information they have to process mm-hmm. sort of quickly, um, that the brain, you know, it, The brain's about 2% of our weight, but it utilises about 20% of our energy. That's it at uh, rest. So when you're having to make decisions as quickly as they do, um, obviously that energy expenditure um, jumps up considerably.
0: So more recent times you've been working with runners, trail runners or tearing as yep. well, in the world that I've known you in. Yeah. And I'm guessing that what you're saying about energy and brain expenditure has some relevance to some of these sporting environments as well.
1: Yeah, so the difference between, you know, running on the road as opposed to, you know, running a trail. Um, you can switch off on the road. You don't need to think about things too much. And you can, you know, go off with the fairies and think about all sorts of stuff, which is great. But trail running... Um, a lot of the trail runners don't take into account the amount of energy that they need to expend, you know, every just about every time you place your foot on the ground, you gotta be aware of whether there's a, a um you know, a hole there or a tree stump or a tree root or whatever it might be. Um or whether you have to duck to go under a tree or just all those sorts of things. So there's a lot more um things to think about when you're trail running. Mm. Right? um what uh, what I particularly like about um, working with trail runners or your, your ultra runners is the the fact that they um, experience a whole range of different temperatures
2: mm, during
1: that run. Mm-hmm. And it's that um, realisation that, and UTA last year was a perfect example. So the
0: Ultra Trail Australia in the Blue Mountains, yeah. 100k race.
1: Yeah perfect example of um if you were aware of the changes that your body was going to do experience then you'd be aware that you needed to um adapt and um change the volume of fluid that you were drinking because mm. it started it was eight degrees in the morning when yeah, that started. yeah it was cold
0: i was actually in the in the shorter A version the 50 gate still short um mm. Well, yeah, it was eight, eight, degrees, 8 degrees, 6 degrees, 8 degrees. Yeah, and it got yeah. to
1: 26. Yeah, it
0: was stinking, it was yeah.
1: hot. <laughs> so a huge um, range in temperatures. So if you follow the normal um, hydration plan that, that um, is offered, then you're stuck at one set volume of fluid to access your calories. So it's great working with trail runners when they uh, start to realise that their needs change in regards to hydration.
0: What has been the most challenging sport? Was it trail running,
1: or is there one? Or no, there's, there's no, right. no one sport. it's it's just um, you, you knocked on the head before when you said people just want to be told what to do. Mm. Um, and the thing is, it, it's it's like anything. If you want to do really well at something, then you've got to get an understanding of your own needs, and no one can tell you. If you go, if you see someone and say, oh, hey, look, just dump this powder in the drink bottle and drink 750 mils an hour. And you're all happy because you think, oh, that's okay, that's great, that's all I need to do.
0: And it's going to be hot later, so just top up a bit early so that you don't get as dehydrated later.
1: Which yeah. you can't do. You can't drink beyond how much you're losing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you, can't, you can't go and fill up and think that you're going to have enough for later on. Because the fact is, if you drink too much in cooler conditions you can have the same effect or same impact on your performance as not drinking enough when it's hotter. So <clears throat> it's just that, um, that need to, for someone to tell you, okay, this is what you need to do. And if, it, if it's something that is easy and you just put a couple of scoops into a bottle, oh, great, that's great, that's all I need to do, fantastic. But then when they have trouble halfway through or for whatever reason, it's stomach issues or cramping or whatever it might be. And then when I, okay, well, you know, what have I done wrong? You know, didn't I train hard enough? Or, you know, it can be, it's a simple fix.
0: And if you're working across so many different sports, you, because at the moment we've really only touched on the hydration side and we're skimming across the top and we've, we've gone into more detail in other podcasts that I've done with you for Find Your Feet. But when it when you think about all the different needs of sports, it must be so different as to also how and what they can consume. So I'm thinking last night we were watching the the cycle uh, event here, the prologue of the Herald Sun Tour. We had Froome there. We had some big names. I mean, the way that they would eat and the way they would drink on a bike would just be so different to how we as, say, runners or triathletes can eat and drink. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is with cycling is that you can't really plan your strategy because it's going to be dependent on what your role is that day in the peloton. Like, you know, the manager might say, look, we want you on the front. We want you in the early break. And if that's the case, then your energy expenditure is going to be massive. Your fluid uh, loss is, and so is your sodium loss. So you're going to have to be a lot more diligent in replacing those than if you're back in the peloton (laughs) sitting in the middle of it doing 40K an hour but your heart rate's about 95 so
0: not only what we're saying is there's not a one-size-fits-all between athlete to athlete to athlete, but there's not a one-size-fits-all that for you as an athlete at no. any moment of the day, at any moment of your sporting career. Exactly. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's, it's dependent on the exertion rate. It's dependent on how much um, sweat you lose, and everyone's different. Um, it's dependent on the environmental, environmental conditions at the time. Hmm. Um, and and also um, logistically, what you're able to access, mm. um, you know, and as a runner, you know, logistics is is difficult.
0: Oh, it's huge. You know, I think back to my experiences running at the elite end of the marathon in Australia, and in fact, in the Melbourne Marathon, I think I used one gel and I drank water off the aid stations in these like plastic or polystyrene cups that you went to sip it and they splash down your face and you know just you're right like logistically it's so different as opposed to a trail runner or a, or a bike who are carrying their fluids and nutrition on them at mm-hmm. any one point so in all this time and we'll go into more detail a bit on things in a moment but is there an athlete who stood out to you that you've worked with? Like one of those people that you go, gosh, they, they are so, so exceptional in what they've done or how they approach it.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you're going to have particular athletes who will just do very well in certain conditions. And one girl I've worked with, Caroline Steffen, is one of the best triathletes in the world, um, <coughs> she has amazing numbers for the heat she has a very low sweat rate and she has a low sodium concentration in her sweat as well and uh she she always did well in the heat like you know done, done well in in um in Asia and the hot humid conditions and um and it's consistent too it's not like she'll have a bad race in the heat it's always it's always a solid race um but her her issue was in cooler conditions. Hmm. Because she wasn't a heavy sweater, um, she would force herself to drink a volume of fluid in cooler conditions that she just didn't need. And that would upset her stomach and she'd have all sorts of problems from a, um, um, you know, changing you know, the way she ran and all sorts of stuff. Like, you know, stomach issues, it's uncomfortable, but it changes a whole range of different things. Um, your gait... The position you'd normally run in, all those sorts of things. So it's not just that it's uncomfortable; but it changes a whole other, a range of other things as well. So,
0: but it's one thing to have the numbers, and I get, I get that, and hmm. I, I hope the listeners understand that that it's important to know your numbers, to know your strategy. But there must be more to it than that for Caroline. She must practice a lot. She does. She must have like a men, like the mental side to cope in those heat conditions. You would imagine like a grittiness, or a... yeah,
1: yeah, extraordinarily tough, like and, and mentally strong, um, and an, an ability to to hurt herself um, <laughs> beyond what others can. Um, there might be athletes who have the exact same physiological makeup, um, just as strong or stronger, um, but it comes down to um, pain tolerance. Really. Do you
2: think
0: we can train? that or is that something that in your experience there's just athletes who are good at it and athletes who suffer
1: <laughs> there, there's um he, Craig Alexander is a perfect example mm, i
2: and love said, that guy
1: yeah i've said that um to him before is that he has um, an uncanny ability to handle pain far better than than others um and still hold a, you know a, a very good pace but be hurting um so badly where others would you know the 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 mechanism is to slow down the the brain is 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 deliberately making it hurt because you're going beyond what you should be mm. but um you know some athletes are able to and you know Jason English 24 hour mountain biker um he, he's another one like for n- mental um capabilities of that guy is staggering
0: because it's felt like for years the focus has been about the physical like you think back to the percy serity coaches of the world who had his athletes training in the sandhills of Portsea, and you know all these like yeah really famous coaches it was all very much about toughening the physical body and I guess then secondary to that is toughening the mind but that's as a byproduct of this training that they do. More recently it feels like and I don't know if I'm right in saying this there is a bit more of a shift towards the awareness of wow things like nutrition and hydration or mindfulness or mental training even our emotional intelligence is becoming like a more real factor in the total performance of an athlete in your experience with the you've worked with so many elite athletes. I'm curious to know how you, how you make contact with all these incredible people. But uh, do you see them doing mental training, like specific mindfulness or meditation? Or...
1: Um, a lot don't, but there are a lot more that are focusing on those sorts of things. And I know – I don't work with them anymore, but we work together um, – with Pete Jacobs when he won the 2012 Ironman World Championships, I know that he worked with some guys that helped him um, with the mental side of of the race. And they would mimic um, scenarios during the run leg that um, athletes around him were getting a lot more support than him because they really didn't know him that well. Mm-hmm. So they were working on okay this this scenario, they're all cheering these other guys' names, and no one's saying, "What do you do?" So what do you do? <laughs> so what they reinforce is that they don't. It's not that they don't like you; it's just that they know these other guys better, and they've been around longer, and they're going to get more support. But <clears throat> you need to have you know rationalise that and go, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense," mm. and. Um, if that happens, then, um, you know, you can just go, well, you know, they're, they're just as supportive of me, but they just don't know me as well.
0: And did it help his performance?
1: Yeah, well, he, it, it turned out he didn't need to to utilise that because he wasn't running with the guys he thought he was going to. Um, and But it was something that he had prepared for mm-hmm. mentally, mm-hmm. which was, you know, probably... Um, you know, the main thing, if it was to happen, then, you know, he had, um, a way to deal with it.
0: But from your experience with working with all of these elite athletes, is there a common thing about them that you're like, that is what it is, that is what you need to be great?
1: (coughs) Um, a lot of them, it's just the cards they're dealt. You know, you can have someone do the same amount of training as them, um, do exactly the same as them, but they'll never get to the level that they get to um, because they have an ability to store a greater amount of glycogen in their muscles than someone else or um, their heart is able to pump you know, two or three hundred mils more blood than, each heartbeat than someone else. Or, they have more red blood cells so they can carry more oxygen. Like, there's, there's so many different variables that make an athlete stand out from everyone else. Um, Obviously, it comes down to, you know, that they are hard workers and they train hard and, but no more, no harder than the people they're beating.
2: Mm.
1: So, you know, when when I say you know you got to play to your strengths. Um, there's going to be um, there's going to be a particular sport that you're better at naturally, without having to try too hard. Um, and it's like anything; it's just uh, it really it just comes down to to the cards you dealt.
0: Mm. You know. That sits with me.
1: <laughs> <Just> <laughs> well, you know, if if the you know if it wasn't that every you know it'd be a you know a hundred people it'd be you know a photo finish with a hundred people going across the mm-hmm. line, and that's just not the case. So, and training programs don't vary that wildly that you that you would expect such big gaps in the field. Mm. You know, so. you're going to have someone, and and it's so annoying that you will have someone who just doesn't do anywhere near the training you do, yet they come out and just annihilate you in a race.
0: I used to hate those people. Yeah,
1: but it's just, you know, but there's going to be something that you're better at then. Then it might not be, it might be paddling a ski, you know, it might be riding a bike or something else. Yeah, it's just
0: So if we were to simplify this for the people who are listening to this podcast, what I think what we're both agreeing with and nodding our heads over sitting in this room is that we need to take the time to find out what it is that we love and the, what we're good at. Mm. And that's so fundamental. And then we need to learn, I guess, how to be good in that sport, to do the right training at the right time with the right mental attitude.
1: That suits you.
0: That suits you. Yes. Because I also, from a coaching perspective, agree that there is not a one-size-fits-all training plan that will work for everyone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But we, I think, in, especially in our Western culture, we spend so much time working on the physical and neglect things like... The mental training and an understanding of our physiology, particularly nutrition and hydration, which both of which can be, I think, I think they can be simple or simplified mm-hmm. and give you huge gains in your performance. So, like, nutrition and hydration is a classic example. You get it wrong on race day, especially for the ultra listeners or ultra honors listening to this podcast. And they can be doubled over on the side of the trail, vomiting for a good hour portion of that 100-mile race. To do the physical training to get an extra hour in your time would be enormous. But to take the right gel at the right time with the right hydration can be a pretty simple thing once you know your numbers. Do you agree with that? Uh,
1: Absolutely. It's... um and that's the thing a lot of people listen to what someone else has done and <clears throat> you know if, and, and if someone says oh, okay this worked for me well that's great um, but you can't expect it's going to work for someone else and it may have worked for you at a certain temperature mm-hmm. you know it might have been 70, 18 degrees not a huge wild fluctuation in temperatures because um, if you have that exact, and this is the problem that or the issue that a lot of athletes come to me with is, you know, I had this hydro, I had this strategy, and it worked awesome for me. You know, I didn't have any stomach issues, and everything was fantastic. But then I raced, you know, four weeks later, and I did the exact same thing, and it was, I was vomiting and, you know, cramping and all sorts of stuff. You know, and then you look at the two events they did, and it was like 15 or 16 degrees variance between the two events. I said, well, you know, this this may have worked well for you. At 12 degrees, where your losses aren't that great, and you're able to minimise percentage of loss. But let's look at you know the race you did four weeks later, where it was you know much warmer. Your losses had increased, but you still were taking on the same amount. So you need to be mindful that um, when you are losing more, that you need to replace more mm-hmm. to a point where it's you know um, not going to compromise your stomach. So. Yeah, it's spot on. It's, it, it, you spend so much time and effort and money on these sports and you're out there doing this. You can find out all these things while you're training. It's not something you have to add on. It's stuff you just need to be, okay, well, I'm doing a run. It's going to be 20 degrees and you know it's a pretty solid run. And so I'm going to find out how much I sweat when it's 20 degrees.
0: How much you lose. How, how much
1: sweat I lose yeah. running at race pace. And, um,
0: so you jump on a scales before, yep. preferably nude, yep. you weigh
2: yourself,
0: weigh yourself, you go out for your run, yep. you come back, you towel yourself down, Try you towel yourself, your hair yeah. down, yep. stand on the scales again, nude, yep. and see what your loss is.
1: Yeah, so the difference between your pre and post weight is an approximation of how much sweat you've lost.
0: In litres, kilograms, directly litres. Yeah, Kilograms. to litres, yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, you know, mm-hmm. you record that and you go, okay, yeah. well, it was 20 degrees and it was 50% humidity. And so you just put that in your diary, in your training log.
0: So you know in a race in similar conditions, you know, roughly... Roughly what your losses what you are lose. going to be. Do you ever replace how much you lose?
1: You never replace the amount you lose. Even...
0: If, what... Is there? A, is there a percentage that we should be aiming for?
1: Or? The, well, the limiting factor is your stomach. Yeah. Um, and, and how much it can process. So even... Even if it's cold conditions and you're losing, let's say, half a litre an hour, although normally your stomach could tolerate half a litre comfortably in warmer conditions, in colder conditions, it might only be able to tolerate two, maybe 300 mils an hour so there's still going to be a gap there. So you're always going to lose more than your stomach can tolerate. Or, or so you're process. always
0: going to finish an event or a long training run dehydrated.
1: Yeah, well, there'll be some losses there. A percentage of dehydrated. A percentage of loss. But um, how much the individual needs to consume will be um, dictated by their own digestive system. Mm-hmm. You know, And it's got nothing to do with size. I've got some athletes who, at 60 kilo. Can drink a greater volume of someone who's eighty kilo. Hmm. They just have a, you know, their stomachs are able to better
0: do. tolerated. Can you train tolerance?
1: Um, there's a once again, there's a limit, and and that's why we can't go out and ride a bike. You know, for you know, for days on end, and that's why we can't go and run for days on end, because there's all there'll always be that gap between how much we're losing and how much our stomach can process.
0: And eventually the losses become too great that the body comes to a stop.
1: Yeah, and the brain just says, hey, look, you know what? It's time. It's Mm -hmm. time to stop. And then you can listen to that and uh, slow down or stop. Others have the ability to, you know, they get that message, but they're still able to run at the same intensity, Mm. you know, and and why they're able to do that. Who knows? I, I think doctors know six percent of the human body. So for me to have an understanding of that, I'm, there's no—I I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's just we're so we're wired so differently.
0: Yeah. 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 And it's hard because sometimes an individual may be physically built to perform, say, as an endurance athlete, but yet their stomach's tolerance or what they can put back is not necessarily suited. To an endurance sport, exactly. Yeah, and it can be a frustrating place for some yeah, athletes. Yeah, yeah,
1: and that's and with those athletes, you know, we we, we work together with their coach, and we go, okay, this well, we want to have some key sessions that you're going to be going out, and we wanted we want to find out the maximum amount of fluid your stomach can tolerate
0: before you vomit.
1: Yeah well, be, yeah, well, pretty much. It, it becomes. Sick. Well, you know what it is. It just feels yeah. uncomfortable. You feel bloated. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, um, just drinking plain water, you can't tolerate as great a volume um, just drinking plain water as if. But when you add sodium to that water, you can increase the volume of fluid that your stomach can tolerate, which is. And, you know, that's just common sense really absorption Absorption. Um, so you know they might um, you know just be drinking plain water or it might be you know a powdered sports drink with all the calories in there which limits the volume of fluid that you can tolerate so um there's lots of things you can work on first um but yes you're spot on some athletes their digestive system just won't be as Um, accommodating Mm -hmm. as others
0: so then this leads me to the point if we've (coughs) ruled out Gatorade and Powerade (laughs) powdered sports drinks and, and ones that generally don't have any sodium per se in them, not enough what does that leave us with? Like, what is the form? I'm not going to ask you to give away your secret, but <laughs> what what is the rough formula that Shots is based around? And how how long did it take you from those early days in the firefighting force testing, we'll call them athletes, firefighters, yeah. to formulating a product to where we are today?
1: Like, oh yeah, well, yeah. Firefighters are certainly athletes.
0: They I mean, are. The, the, yeah. The the,
1: full, the sweat loss that. You can you can lose up to three to four liters an hour, yeah. um, in some of those situations, um, and and really whether you're an athlete, regardless of what you do, if, your, if there's sweat loss involved,
0: your boots would fill up with sweat, literally. Yeah. yeah, it's it's
1: it's mind-boggling how much you lose. Yeah. Um, but it's um yeah so. I've forgotten the question how, how
0: did you How did you start then making products? Oh, I mean, that's, okay. a big, that's a big jump.
1: Well, that, that was the thing is that, you know, I was testing all these different athletes and, and firefighters and, you know, getting all these different numbers and retesting and retesting and retesting the same athlete and the same fiery and working out that that number didn't change. Um, and then I started to to uh <clears throat> to see the different sweat rates and that in the same in you know the same intensity, the same environmental conditions, and the sweat rate for some was so much lower than others. Mm. So their you know so their accumulative loss of sodium was different. So I'm getting all these different numbers. And um, you know we originally had a liquid it was called Carbolite mm-hmm. and it was a it was it was a powdered sports ring but in liquid form. Mm-hmm. Um, a concentrated liquid that you'd mixed with water, and you know I looked at the the formulation which we we inherited when we mm-hmm. purchased the business.
0: Oh, did you? Mm.
1: Ah,
0: and,
1: but we didn't have it long okay. because <laughs> because I'd mix this up, and you know if I wanted to address an athlete who had a higher sodium concentration in their sweat, and then I used more of the product to get the, to increase the sodium. It increased everything else as well.
0: All the calories. All and the, the calories
1: content. and everything else. So, and the refined crystalline form sugar, which I'm not <laughs> a fan of. Um, so, you know, it was just overpoweringly too sweet. It was just, so, you know, I just come up one day and I just went, oh, hang on a minute, we don't drink our calories in everyday life. Actually, unfortunately, a lot of people are starting to do that now, it's which is the more, wrong yeah. thing to do. But um, <laughs> they not think, the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to make mention that um, our stomach is the is a food processor. We don't need a little machine to put our veggies and fruit into your stomach. That's the ultimate processor. Um, and putting that in a little blender isn't going to increase the amount of vitamins or nutritional value of that food. <laughs> so, just I wanted to throw it out there. So that was um, – oh, I'm, I'm lost again. Sorry.
0: Yeah, no, you were You were just talking about like you were ready to make your own – Oh, that's right. Sorry. That's all right. Um, so many tangents to go on. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: um, it, 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 this is stuff I did so many years ago. Uh, so, you know, I, I just realized straight away, look, we don't drink our calories – so I just took calories out of, the, out of the equation and then that allowed me to add more sodium mm-hmm. and increase the sodium concentration of the drink to, to address these athletes who had higher sodium concentrations in their sweat. And then the ones even with a moderate sodium concentration, in hotter conditions, their sweat rate would increase and that would increase the accumulative loss of sodium they were losing. So we were able to address all these different um, amounts and then tailor and customise to each individual's oh, yeah. um,
0: and uh, so needs. And so now the product is allowing athletes to use tablets in dissolved in water. Yeah. You can add as many tablets as you need to effectively make the concentration that you need for your sweat.
1: Yeah. So and like like we mentioned before, you're never going to replace the amount you lose. Mm-hmm. So you know, for instance, if you're losing fifteen hundred milligrams an hour. You probably shoot for about a thousand milligrams. Mm. Um, and it interestingly, it comes down to palatability as well. Yeah,
0: it does. I'm a super high sodium loss, mm. so two thousand. If I was to get anywhere near that I just like it would just be so so unpalatable yeah. see. So.
1: Well that's that's with one that's if you only lose one litre of sweat. That's
0: true. And <laughs> I so lose, if you lose a lot more than that. Yeah,
1: so if you lost one point five litres an hour,
0: mm.
1: yeah, that's two and a half thousand milligrams of sodium. Mm. Um, now with a powdered drink, you are not going to get anywhere near no. that. So what was brought into the market to address the low sodium that's in sports drinks was these um, uh, salt, salt tablets. Now, salt tablets have 215 milligrams of sodium, um, not a huge amount. Um, so, so I'd
0: need 10 salt tabs per liter of sweat that I'd lose
1: Yeah. to replace
0: my yeah. loss. Yeah,
1: yeah. So so i uh, you know the, the idea is that you have your sodium in your drink mm-hmm. and you consume that and mm-hmm. the fact is you don't have that you don't have to replace all that you lose you just need to minimize percentage of loss
0: and you you do and uh, you know as an athlete speaking here you get to a point where you understand what works for you and it feels right you know when you get it right it feels right if it doesn't feel right as a bit of a rule it probably isn't right that's my experience with it yeah absolutely and it feel, not just feels right but it also feels sustainable like your body just feels like it's in a happy place and i can keep doing this for the period of time that i potentially need to keep doing this
1: mm. yeah and, and that that's the thing too is that um the athletes with that do have a bit higher sodium concentration in the sweat can comfortably tolerate the concentration in their in their drink mm. better like You'll give that same concentration to someone with a low sodium concentration, and they just find it too powerful, too yeah. overpowering. And yeah. it's um the body the body knows it it knows what it needs.
0: It <clears> I think it does. It's it seems smart. So that that then leads me on to to nutrition. I actually want to start with the ketogenic diet. <laughs> I'm seeing you grimace, <laughs> but. but Earlier we were talking about athletes, and I can't think about why it popped this question into my brain, but I think we were talking about, like, can you train adaptability? Can you train an athlete to be more efficient? And we do know that, that when you do endurance training, it builds your fitness. you would be able to go further for longer with less energy. But now there's this movement around fat loading to adapt the body to being a fat burner, so that our energy expenditure or energy requirement to glucose goes down is the thinking. Tell me, like, what are your experiences? I know there was an athlete, wasn't there, that you worked with who went to try the ketogenic. There's probably been many, so give us, some, give us some examples. Highlight this for us. Well, I don't want to say his name. No, 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 you don't <laughs> have to say his name.
1: <laughs> but he was one of the best triathletes in the world at one point and then decided he wanted to do this. And I... Once again, there's no one size fits all. Yeah. So you know it may well work for some, and if it mm-hmm. does, fantastic. But it just goes against basic human physiology. Um, when you train, you are naturally going to um, increase your fat burning capabilities, which is fine. And even even with 24 hour runners, they compete and I work with some of the best 24 hour runners. Um, phenomenal. Um, they heart their heart rate zone is generally around 120 to 125, so they don't they're not using a huge amount of their stored glycogen because it's not a high it's not a high intensity. It's just a, a set um, speed that they try and hold for that 24 hours. Um, but in regards to fat burning, there's still there's still some you know calorie expenditure there. And the thing is that you still need to consume calories. Um, And I don't know why people seem to think that they don't need to consume calories when they're running, when their actually expenditure is much higher.
0: I think it's still just this misconception that if I'm consuming calories, I'm stopping my body from burning its fat stores and training that fat adaptation, which we do require. The physical body does use fat for energy as well as glucose we'd run out of glucose if we didn't have
1: it well that's but you need glucose to burn fat yes and without glucose present you're not going to have a, a, um, an effective fat burning
0: because the brain is driving the fat burning is that what you're saying?
1: no you need the, you need the energy from from glucose to access the fat stores mm-hmm. but you still need that energy. there's still an energy system um, and you need a lot more oxygen as well and that's why, at higher intensity, and, and you know, some, someone's higher intensity is going to be different to someone else's higher intensity.
2: Mm.
1: But at higher intensity, you shift away from burning fat. You're not burning much at all. But even even ultra runners, uh, and most that I've worked with, they sit around about the one forty, 140, one forty five heart rate zone. And and once again, I don't like to generalise because I've got some athletes who their max heart rate's only 140. Mm-hmm. So they'll sit at 125, and you'll be looking at them and going, come on, do some work. Yeah. Know, what are you doing, 125? But, you know, this is a cyclist, for example, might be holding 350 watts at yeah. 130. So.
0: And my average heart rate at Old trail Australia 50K last year was 176 mm. for 50K. Yeah. So we, there's some of us who are at the other end of the spectrum. That's yeah.
1: it. So, you know, it's just dependent on where your max heart rate is um, so there's no, there's, there's no, you know, one size fits all again for heart rates. Yeah. You sit at a heart rate that you feel comfortable, that you can hold that intensity, and measure your effort for the period of time that you're going to be out there for. So
0: for those ultra runners who, for example, are at that 140, 145, hmm. are they burning fat or glucose or both?
1: Well, it, it depends on um, what that intensity is to them. Mm-hmm. But there's still going to be Considerable amount of energy expenditure there, and you know it might be upwards of 650 calories an hour. Now, your stomach, as a runner, particularly um, trail running, <clears throat> is limited to how much calories it can consume anyway. So let's say for example, you're burning 650 calories, an hour, and if you are if you are an ultra runner or any endurance runner or, or triathlete or cyclist, whatever it might be. You should have an understanding of how many calories you burn an hour. Because then you can understand of, okay, well, this is how much I'm losing. And then you might times that by however long you're going to be out there. Okay, this intensity, which is about my race pace, I burn 600 calories. And I'm going to be out there for 10 hours. You're burning 6,000 calories.
0: And I found it really helpful when I sat down and worked out how many bananas... That actually was the equivalent of because if, well it, you were saying you were asking earlier like I don't know why athletes don't eat I think it's because we have we don't actually understand the quantities that we're talking about the, the yeah. like a, a number looks like a number on a piece of paper but if mm-hmm. you sat that number there as bananas that's a lot of bananas on a sheet of paper
1: yeah
0: that we're talking about yeah aren't we
1: yeah oh yeah. absolutely and the, and the fact is your stomachs once again it's limited to what it can process and mm-hmm. what it can tolerate. So at best you might be able to tolerate about two hundred and thirty calories an hour,
0: which is how many bananas?
1: Uh, probably two. Yeah. Yeah, um, two medium-sized bananas. <coughs> now there's still a gap. There's still a gap exists between how much you're expending and how much your stomach can tolerate. Now there's your fat burnings that depend on how good you are at fat burning. You still need to be a fat burner, but you still need to take on calories. Because I say to athletes, okay, well, you're running for 10 hours, and you think you don't need any calories, or you don't need to eat a lot. Well, what happens if you don't eat for 10 hours without doing any activity at all?
0: I get the severe hangry. Yeah, you do, <laughs>
1: you, and, and it's just, and it's not because, it's because you're, you're still utilizing energy.
0: Yeah, you're basic bodily functions are utilizing. Exactly,
1: your your immune system,
2: your your brain, everything, just every
1: single organ in the body requires some form of energy. So to think that you don't need to take any calories in while you're actually active...
0: But going back to the ketogenic diet, the ketogenic diet, the thinking is that if you can enhance the fat-burning capabilities of the body, you may be able to lessen that window of difference between what you can consume and what your body requires. Yeah, I guess well, maybe they've got well, lots yeah, of arguments. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: you know, we can we can argue about it all day, but um, it,
0: at the end of the day, we
1: need energy. At the end of the end of the day, we need to eat, and we need
0: glucose,
1: and we need glucose. Glucose is the single most important fuel in the body. It, it fuels obviously the muscles, the brain, the brain, and, and the immune system.
0: The brain
1: only burns without glucose. glucose. The brain doesn't function, and yeah. this is the thing. I, I, you know, working with lots of different athletes, working with motocross and superbikes, you get a real good understanding of how the brain is affected oh. when when these yeah. guys try these new fad diets. Now, you don't want to. You do not want to make a mistake. As a motocross rider, or as a superbike, or any type of motor racing, and I, you know, work with athletes who come to me saying, "Hey, you know, I, I don't know what's going wrong, but I just can't process information like I used to." And and these guys that are very good at this sport are good because they can naturally process information so much quicker than mm. than anyone else than normal people.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so they're able to make decisions um, you know their brain just functions so much better in regards to those sorts of things, but you put them on a high fat low carb diet, their ability to their ability to process information it just it's it 's just destroyed
2: I'm over.
1: so those sorts of things um, it just highlights and it 's good working with those guys because um it's something you learn very quickly. And as soon as you get glucose back into this system, bang, that they're, they're just like straight it's up.
0: It's a on lights it again. on and I, I mean my background initially as an elite athlete was in the sport of orienteering, which is a huge That's thinking it. sport. Yeah. And what we found was that if we didn't take energy when we needed it, we began to make errors. And you can't think. It's like it's like fuzzy brain. I mm. imagine that's what it feels like, almost to have like a depressive state, almost where you're just you're thinking through a cloud. And then you take energy, and it's just like the clouds lift. Like it, yeah. it is. It's so life changing. Yeah. Yeah. But energy isn't just energy. Like, uh, what what sort of energy is the best energy for athletes to consume when they're out there?
1: A C- carbohydrate, by yeah. far, and like.
0: Like. G- glucose.
1: Yeah, well, well, carbohydrate, which is converted to glucose. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of different forms that mm-hmm. you can access. You, and there's no... There's no... Um, One size fits all. No, and, and <laughs> there's not. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a huge... And, you know, everyone can go, well, you know, mani- you manufacture the energy, gel- energy gels. Of course you're going to, to promote energy gels. But if they weren't... I wouldn't have made them in the first place. Um, but when you look at calories, particularly for an athlete, um, logistically, but most importantly, the digestive system and how it works, you need to look at a whole range of different things, which I've looked at. And I know that other companies, haven't, they wouldn't even know what energy to volume ratio is. They wouldn't know what low sensory impact is. They wouldn't know all these things about what's important for the athlete, um, to access calories, and you, and the difference you'll see in your performance when you do actually access the right type of calories for you, um, between not doing it, you, it's an entirely different experience.
2: Mm.
1: Um, you know, and it's not about um, well it is. It is important how you feel on the day, but it's extra important how you feel on Monday when you got to go to work. Mm. You know, that's, recovery. that's really, you know, Absolutely. and if, if you get your nutrition right on the day, your recovery the next day is you, you're jumping out of your skin. Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: once you get it right and you're, um, accessing the things that work best for you mm. in the right amounts based on the conditions, um, the difference is, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. And I think athletes who perform over multi-days, like cyclists, for example, the Tour de France cyclists, like, they're not going to deplete their body on day one of the tour because they know they've got to perform 21 days later.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, you watch the Tour de France now um, compared to maybe even only seven or eight years ago, every time they shoot back to the peloton, they are eating and drinking non-stop the whole time because they understand well it's a bit different now cycling but um they understand of you know what happens once they get to that second week and it's not just that race it's 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 athletes training as well it's that cumulative amount that builds up um I remember the you
0: calling the bike like a, a moving smorgasbord rolling buffet, it's a yeah. rolling buffet it's awesome mm. so i know we've covered a hell of a lot there's oh my god we could talk i know we could talk all all day uh i love this stuff but you've written a book recently So we will guide listeners to the book. It is, for me, it just clarified everything. You know, I I thought I got it, but it just simplified it even more, Um, made me really understand that I needed to know my numbers, and learning my numbers was revolutionary. Like, I remember thinking when you tested my study, yeah, he's not going to find much because I'm a vegetarian athlete. I've been vegetarian almost my entire life. Processed foods is not something that hits my vocabulary. And yet I had this huge sodium loss and I was like, where's it coming from? And actually more recently I have found out that I probably am a high mineral loser in general. I, lose, I tend to lose a lot of zinc as well and zinc, completely zinc deficient at the moment, which has been a revelation and I've always been iron deficient as well. So it's been really interesting. But um, so anyway, off, off topic, but, I, but the book, what was it like to write a book and to see all your information in and your knowledge in one place?
1: Yeah, well, actually, I wanted to get it down because um, a lot of the stuff that I've learned, um, you know, it's not... It wasn't... It was all in my head. Mm. And um, I needed to get it out. Um, So, really, it was a good experience. And it was over 12 months, and I had assistance with a lady that lived in LA. And I chose this particular lady because... She had never done sport in her life. Mm. She had no idea, no preconceptions of what she should should do as an athlete or anything like that. So, totally neutral. So, and what that did, it 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 forced me to go really deep. And she would ask these obscure questions that, um, that you know, someone would just assume
2: mm-hmm. normally.
1: Um, so I would. I would dictate into an iPhone and send her the files and then she would write it all out and then ask me all these questions about different mm-hmm. different subjects. And that's how it sort of was built. Um, but it was great. It was good to just get it all down on paper. Mm. Um, and I know that it's, well, it's not controversial. It's just really, it's just common sense. It's not...
2: It
0: is common sense, but in some ways it is controversial because we all come, I think as, I mean... It feels like the athletes that are like, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to rephrase that. I feel like sometimes the more I learn, the more I get confused. <laughs> and now access to information is everywhere. Yeah. And you don't know who to trust. No, and,
1: well, social media nowadays, everyone's an expert. Yeah. And, you know, I, and the thing I've, I've been asked many times before is, okay, you've written this book, why haven't you published any of your, any of the stuff that you've learned? And the simple answer to that is that, you know, I did a test with 20 athletes, and I got 20 different numbers. So to publish that particular research that I did doesn't benefit anyone. Mm-hmm. It only benefit. well, it benefited those people that are in the test at that in, at that in- particular intensity and in that particular, um, in-, in those in- environmental conditions they did testing. And... That's why, because anyone who, and <laughs> there's one particular guy, I see there's a few out there that, that published these articles, these one-size-fits-all um, information that, you know, it's dangerous. You know, there's one out there that says that sodium's not important. And I've tested, and like I said before from the start, I've tested athletes where the sodium isn't that important because they're not losing that much. Um, but there's some athletes I've tested who need to make sure that they're replacing it.
0: And if sodium wasn't important, you we'd be having bags of water for our saline drips at the ends of. Well,
1: that's right. You wouldn't have exactly. Races. There wouldn't be three thousand milligrams of sodium in those saline drips. Three
0: thousand. That's huge. You know,
1: and very rarely does an athlete end up on just one bag. Mm. It's normally two or three bags. It's normally nearly three.
0: Before people really come back to life after a big
1: exertion. So there's 9,000 milligrams of sodium they're getting pumped into their bloodstream.
0: Incredible.
1: So athletes and anyone who doesn't think that sodium's important um, (laughs) needs to just have a look at a Hartman Mm -hmm. solution, saline drip. Um, And if they're giving advice um, about that to all their athletes, they've got to be careful because Mm -hmm. we're all so different and you can't just give single-minded advice to to an athlete and think it's going to work.
0: So initially when you you never planned to run a business, it sounds like.
1: No, no, no I didn't.
0: And I think that's probably where you and I probably connect on a very friendship level is in some ways you've become a mentor to me in business. Are there are there though people that have mentored you or that you've admired in business, or have you just literally gone out of that love of helping people?
1: Um, no, no one's no one's mentored me. It's been just <laughs> learning, making massive mistakes, <laughs> and then trying not to make them again. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, trying being the optimal word. Trying if it's by my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and the, the thing is. Um, you know, I, I knew I was onto something many years ago, but I'm not the sort of person who is going to go out and tell the world
0: you're an expert.
1: Then I'm an expert, <laughs> because you know, like I said, I've learned all this stuff, but you know, I need. There's a, you know, I feel that athletes, especially, and that's who I work with, and I love working with athletes. It just
0: and an athlete is anyone who aspires to higher goals. Yeah, that's out there. That's the physical challenge. Exactly. Yeah.
1: They don't need to be winning a race.
0: No. They can be 65 and at the yeah. back of the pack. And Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I've worked with a lot of older mm. older uh, athletes.
0: Actually, can I then interrupt on that? This was one of my questions. I skipped over it. Does, does, nutritional, does your nutrition change with age? As in, when you're exercising. We know it changes in lifestyle a little bit, but
1: do your numbers change
2: yeah.
1: well I did I did my sodium it uh, would have been 12 years ago now um and I did it again it was maybe two years ago mm-hmm. so a 10 year gap and my sodium was 20 milligrams difference huh. so it was mine's 1430 milligrams per one liter of sweat which is um in my book um I wrote 1400 milligrams was about the average um that, that athletes will lose. But what's happened since my book is that I've tested a lot more athletes now.
0: Because you've got your own testing facility of, now. Yeah, I've yeah. got my own
1: testing facility. And I have done for a while. Um, but now, because I'm testing a lot of um, different athletes, and this is the athletes who um, generally have had stomach issues in the, in the past mm-hmm. um, and cramping and that sort of thing, but... Um, Not not knowing, you know whether it's too much fluid they're drinking or they're not getting enough sodium or too much or because I have had had a couple of athletes recently where we had to really dial back their sodium because they had really suffered in hot humid conditions and the feedback was oh you need more sodium you need to so they've gone and done it again gone and but their sodium loss in sweat was down around the 300 milligram mark. Hmm. Um, and they were taking way too much. Mm. So what we did, we doled it right back. And then they go and do a race in hot humid conditions and they finish on the podium.
2: Hmm.
1: Like from not, from ending up in hospital oh, prior yeah. to. But not knowing that number... They were doing the wrong thing.
0: Well, they're the lucky ones in our hot condition. Well, didn't... exactly. And I
1: said to them, you have fantastic numbers for the heat. Well, why did I end up in hospital last time?
0: Because you didn't do it.
1: Because you had too much. And yeah, sure, some people can have too much and mm-hmm. they need to be mindful, but you need to know your numbers because it can, it can go the other way. You know, you can end up in hospital for not having enough, but you can end up in hospital for having too much
0: so (laughs) again we diverged in a wood no it's so no I love it it's because it is it is so complex it's complex but it's simple and that's a frustrating thing but you you delved into business because the need was there you knew you could help people it's been a driver for you forever Mm. and a day and you you do so much of what you do of you know, out of love. Like, I remember when I first approached you. You know, you were just helping me because you cared about my story, and and that has led, obviously, to our friendship. But but business has just been the tool that you've had to use, I guess, to help people, isn't it? It's yeah, like it, you have. You, it's your vehicle for yeah, absolutely sharing your information.
1: Yeah, and, and it's um, yeah, it was never. You know, I was always. Um, I was never under the illusion that it was a big market. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been of the understanding that sports nutrition is a very, very niche market. Um, So
0: why had so few of us not heard of shots? Like, it's not... Why isn't it... Why don't we see its name splashed around with the other
1: big... Well, I don't know how long we've spoken for, but it's it's not something you can put a one page ad in a magazine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I I and you know when I cringe when I see someone write you know we will make you faster stronger well, how are you going to do that? You've got a powder that you put in water that it's a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. So how that how's that going to make anyone faster stronger? And like it's just this power of marketing and no disrespect to the marketing industry but you know, you just gotta look at your powdered sports drinks. That is the perfect example of the power of marketing yeah. that's convinced athletes that we're all exactly the same and we compete and we train and compete in the exact same conditions every day.
0: So it feels like Shots has grown more organically. I mean oh, I, I certainly know that by coming on board with the product and really getting to learn the product and seeing the changes that it's made not I mean it's made huge changes to my performance I'd be lying if I didn't have that benefit but it it's made even bigger improvements to my love of what I do you know now I go out in the mountains and I'm not afraid of being in the mountains because I'm I know I can keep my head and my body happy for as long as I need to be happy out there <laughs> and comfortable in those environments so it it's it isn't like for me just about performance my father went through challenging um accident back in the end of 2005 and suffered burns to his body which has left his skin um, not able to breathe in the same way that other people's um, bodies breathe and one challenge he now has is he gets huge problems with cramping and, and almost every night after he's done any physical exertion. We've found that using the product, the electrolyte product with him, half a tablet even under his tongue at a night can totally eradicate the cram. So we're talking about applications that go far and wide, but I certainly know that my voice and our voice at Find Your Feet has just spread. It's like when someone touches this product, they tend to sit with it almost forever. Mm. It it is just so good. (laughs) That's that's, that's um, not a plug. That is just
1: a statement. Well, (laughs) I I think that, you know, we've been around for 20 years now Mm. um, and, you, you know, not many people have heard of us and we don't, (laughs) we're not chess beaters and you know we we have a product that we know that once people start using it's very rare that they'll go and use anything else but we we need to make sure that they're using it properly Mm -hmm. that they're not experiencing the issues that so many athletes do um when they're out there on the trails or wherever they might be but
0: that is unbelievable like I don't. I don't know how you manage to juggle. You run this business. You don't. You don't employ anyone other than the people who are actually making the product in the factories in Australia. Yeah. You don't employ staff. So your wife Steph does all of the ordering mm-hmm. and the back end. You do all the testing and liaising with the athletes. You travel enormously because you've also started exporting the product to Japan and. Japan,
1: UAE, yeah, Singapore. So,
0: yeah. So, and particularly a lot of the warmer climates, which is yeah. really interesting. Mm. How do you juggle everything?
1: <laughs> just work longer hours. Um, we've had employees in the past, but it just changed the dynamic. Um, it's... Uh, they just didn't show the passion that they needed to. And that's the thing, too, is it's... And I figure that's probably why we've been around for so long, and you'll see sports and we have seen probably between 10 and 15 brands just in the last probably 15 years that have come and gone. Mm. And I'm talking big, big brands like with a lot of money behind them um, that, you know, they just think they can come into the market with some product that, you know, that people are going to purchase because they're spending a lot of money on their marketing. But, it just doesn't work that way. I still don't understand why um, the two big ones—I well, don't even like to mention their name—because um, I can't understand how they can generate so much income from sugary water. It's staggering.
0: It's marketing.
1: Yeah, it's it's it <clears throat> is, and and I think that's why we don't. We do a you know with the articles and stuff that I write, which is a form of marketing, but. Um, it's not marketing 101, because nowadays people just want something to be said in 30 seconds, or they want just a few lines, and that's then they start to lose um, concentration.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, my last article was I think two and a half thousand words,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: I had, it, but I could have written that again. Um,
0: oh, you could write all day. Yeah, so
1: I, it, yeah.
0: So with. Where to from here? I mean, 20 years on, and that's just been since you started the, the company, Shots. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Is the love still there? Is the motivation still there? <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> how, yeah. Well, it is. It's just, it, it's just frustrating. Um, it's frustrating more than anything because the industry is dominated by marketing companies. Mm. And that's the thing that bothers me the most. Um, and then you've got um, people out there who are now so-called experts, um, who are just reading these published articles and they're fording them on and saying, oh, okay, look, this is not important or you should do this. Well, you know what? If they've got 100 athletes in their stable, um, it might suit three or four of them. Um, for the other 95 or 96, they're going to find out in the middle of a race that they've trained really hard for that it's not going to work for them. And it's going to ruin their day and they're going to get to the finish, if they finish at all, and they're going, okay, well, you know, it worked for them, why didn't it work for me? Um, So, yeah, people ask me about, can you you do a nutrition plan for me? I say, well, not without your numbers. Because without your numbers, I'm just guessing, you're just guessing, and it's not going to help anyone.
0: And that's been the biggest change that you've made, it appears from my perspective in the last couple of years since you bought your sweat testing kit mm. or facility. Yeah. So you're now you've now opened up what once upon a time was only available to elite athletes, particularly up at the AIS, to yeah. test numbers. So anyone who's listening who wants to engage in getting to know their numbers and improving their performance through that can do now through you doing a sweat test, is that yeah,
1: correct? Yeah, so yeah. I've put together a sweat test kit, yeah, which I can send to their home, and whether they do, you know, whether it's a treadmill or whether they, you know, go out and do a, a, an hour's run or whatever it might be.
0: So they they complete the test, they send back the so the, sweat, sample. the sample yeah. to you, you test it here, and then you call them.
1: Yeah, we... we We um, catch up, we make a time to catch up on the phone and we discuss the numbers, what they mean. Um, You know, that, okay, this is the numbers that you've collected from this particular test. Now, what we need to do is understand what your sweat rate is in different environmental conditions um, so then we can learn what your sodium sodium losses are in those. Amazing. Yeah, so it's just having... Having that knowledge, like, and, and this is the feedback I get from all the athletes I work with, is that they go into a race now with a plan, with an actual plan that um, it's, 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 it's uplifting for them.
0: Well, it is because it's, and the way I help people to make understanding of it is like if you were lining up to do, let's say, a 50-kilometer run and you just kind of winged it, in training, you know, I did a bit of CrossFit here and when friend was doing that training, I jumped on board with that and then, then I didn't really know how to recover so I just went and jumped in the pool. Like when you stand on that start line, that's not the same confidence you get that if you had six months before that race, sat down and thought, what do I need to do to perform at my best mm-hmm. on race day? And it's, it's standing there with this newfound confidence that, ah, I think I get it. If I don't get it, I've got a baseline from which I can experiment outwards, isn't Mm. it?
1: And that's the thing. And there's going to be key sessions where we go, okay, well, let's let's find out what your stomach can tolerate. We need to be comfortable that you can consume this certain amount. Yeah. And there's – you know, it's like anything. You can't – if you take on too much, it's going to upset the balance. Yeah. Um, And there's no – there's no um, level of how many times the athlete contacts me. Like, it's, it, you know, they can contact me whenever they like to say, okay, well, I did this, um, this worked well, but I feel this might have been too much. Or maybe, I'll, actually, I feel like I could probably take on a bit more. So I we, we say, yes. okay, Lynn, your next session, try this. It um,
0: is It is an amazing, I mean, it's an amazing service, but it's also an amazing business model. Like what you're doing is just a labour of love. Like, you just genuinely want to help people be the best versions of themselves when they're out there doing what they love doing. Yeah. And we hope it's what they love doing. So, I know I'm, I, I need to draw this to a close. So, if there was one last bit of advice... For someone, or particularly people who have listened to this, we're probably confused the hell out of everyone. <laughs> you know, it's going, oh my gosh, now, like, well, how do I start? How do I, like, tell me what to do. Where do I, where do I begin?
1: Well, you've got to look at your numbers.
0: Do the test.
1: Speci- well, yes, you, you, you know, you can do the sodium test if you like. It's, it's an awesome number to have. Um, and once you have that number, then there's absolutely no guessing. Um, just about everyone runs with a heart rate monitor nowadays and they upload it to Strava and they send it everywhere else and you know it's so from that perspective you should have a pretty good understanding of your calorie expenditure so you need to go over your files particularly in races and have a look at your calorie expenditure because
0: it will change with effort
1: it will change with effort exactly have a look at what it was for a particular race and then you know Work back and say, okay. Well, you know, how many calories did I take on for that race? Did I feel okay? Did I have any stomach issues? What could have caused that? You know, and, and this is the sort of thing that I've worked on. You know, the things, the different things that can cause stomach issues, um, and it's not—it's never always one answer. Mm. It could be a combination of many. Um, so, understanding
0: you—you
1: you—it's so you, like, like
0: be curious about. You, question you. Don't question everything else that's out there or what your best friend's doing. It's question you. Or what's written you. in an
1: article. You The numbers don't lie. Yeah,
0: it's all there for you it's to see there. if you want to yeah. read it.
1: And that's the thing. Sweat rate is very simple to work out. Yeah. You know, you ask someone, how. okay, well, how much sweat do you think you lost? Or how, how much sweat do you think you're losing an hour? Oh, I have no idea. Or how yeah. much were you drinking? Well... You know, <laughs> yeah, so it, it's yeah. it's all guessing now. Yeah. It, don't don't guess. Don't Learn guess. what yeah. works best for you.
0: It 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 blew me away. It blew me away knowing my numbers. Your numbers,
1: yeah, <laughs> blew me away too. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, So yeah, so I, I completely agree that we 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 spend so much time searching Google. Reading articles, seeing what our friends are doing, interpreting that, getting afraid of that, when we could simplify it a lot by going back to ourselves and thinking, what am I doing now? What could I do differently? What can I know more about myself? Mm. Um, yeah. And I think nutrition and hydration is an amazing place to start.
1: Yeah, well, you know, your, your hydration is continually changing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you need to change and adapt accordingly
0: Mm. Mm. and I'd encourage people when they're doing that self well that self-understanding to also think about what's going on in their lifestyles as well I just know for myself that my needs whether it's nutrition and hydration I haven't probably thought enough about but when my body is under a greater stress or it carries more fatigue it tends to change the numbers as well so beginning to understand you know what it's what your needs are in a training effort versus like a racing effort in a lifetime a place of life where there might be a lot of stress and maybe that's an emotional stress or a physical stress versus what it is when life is holiday and peachy and rosy mm-hmm. um i think that it is really important and i think it also i hope this conversation highlights the the importance of having the right support crew around you Think, yeah, for sure. He yeah, can't do it alone.
1: No, <laughs>
2: not
0: always. <laughs> no,
1: no. Yeah. But yeah, you're an individual, mm-hmm. and, and how you tolerate different experiences. And I worked with athletes, and losing a um, you know a girlfriend or a boyfriend mm-hmm. or something like, that, and how that then impacts on their performance. Mm-hmm. Um, one athlete I worked with. Um, one of the top triathletes in the world um, lost his girlfriend. Uh, not not lost her, but mm. broke up. She broke up with him. He won more races in that year <laughs> than he ever had before. Like I was, I thought he was going um, to crush and burn. Um, conversely, another girl broke up with her boyfriend. She had one of the worst years she's ever had. They similar things happened.
0: But a different
1: outcome. outcome. So, you know... It's it's, definitely
0: the moral of our story.
1: (laughs) But I also think,
0: I hope, and also in conclusion, that people can take themselves seriously. As in, if you are doing the physical exertion, you are challenging your body, you have goals and aspirations for yourself as a person, no matter how fast or slow it's going to be... You are an athlete and you are entitled to this knowledge because there is definitely as well working with adults as a coach uh, and understanding, or people get quite chuffed when you call them an athlete. Hmm. You know, that they think that what we're talking about right here, right now, is only for the elites. It's not, it's for no. everyone.
1: Oh, we're a bit more. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, they are athletes. Like, if you're losing sweat, if you're exerting yourself, And there's um, a point where that fluid loss and that calorie expenditure impacts on your performance. Then you're you're an athlete. That's that's the the definition of an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you're finishing.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you, Darrell, so much. And we will link. uh, all our show notes or podcast notes off to your website, the product, how to do the sweat test. I've even written some short little blogs on how to do a sweat rate test to simplify it for runners. So we'll give everyone the resources, but I guess there'll be a lot of homework (laughs) for those who are starting out on this journey, but it's a really um, interesting one, enjoyable one. And um, thank you for, I guess, helping us to make the first step.
2: Thank you. It's
0: finding our feet.
2: Yes. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thank you.